There was a time in uh, the scripture where Jesus addressed a group of people and he said to them, Woe to you, hypocrites! <laughs> Sorry. You're awake now? And in that passage, Jesus said it seven times. Should I say it seven times or can you imagine it? You want to just imagine it? You're going to take the easy way out? There was a time in scripture when Jesus addressed, Jesus addressed a group of people and multiple times, seven times said, woe to you, hypocrites. This was divine judgment. This was God's judgment against this group of people. This was woe, wishing woes, grief upon you, difficulty upon you for what you have done. Seven times. Who was Jesus speaking to here? He was speaking to the religious leaders of God's people at the time. Who had become, who, who were sliding into false teaching. Woe to you, hypocrites. Because those that he was addressing, he was extremely concerned of where they were going with their teaching, slipping into... Uh, urging the people toward religious activity, busy religious behavior, instead of seeking the heart of God. He was God, Jesus was concerned uh, that, these, that these people were emphasizing sort of legalistic behavior management, you know, do the right things and God will like you, instead of getting to the heart of the matter. These people were, were, um, were, were advocating for kind of rule-based earning, that we can somehow earn God's favor and match up. Woe to you, hypocrites. Seven times. Good thing he wasn't speaking to us, huh? Or was he? Or does the scripture speak to us as Jesus spoke to that group then we, sometimes as followers of Jesus, as readers of the Bible, sometimes we like to insert ourselves in the stories, and we tend to insert ourselves as the good, obedient followers of Jesus. Are we willing to somehow, sometimes in, insert ourselves into these places and ask God this morning if we need the same correction? Do we need these kinds of corrections? Woe to you that are drawing people away from the kingdom of God instead of drawing them toward God. Woe to you who are adding requirements to people that God didn't put there. Adding rules to what God's best plan is. Leading people astray. Woe to you for overemphasizing, overemphasizing small things, little things, and missing the boat entirely, Jesus says, on the things that matter to the heart of God. Woe to you for striving, for striving, for trying, for pulling yourself up by the bootstraps to appear godly on the outside, oblivious to the turmoil and the true sinful condition of our heart. Woe to you, hypocrites. Seven times. Good grief, Pastor Derek. Good morning to you, too. But this, here's, here's what you should hear about the heart of Jesus. 
even in that passage in Matthew 23. Those woes, those declarations of judgment were not Jesus' effort to condemn. Those were Jesus' effort to bring people to repentance, to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. The heart of Jesus there, even in these difficult sayings, was to bring people to himself, to, for people to find God through following Jesus. So this morning we are kicking off a new series of messages that we'll be in for quite a while, and we are teaching our, uh, the series is called Kingdom Life, and we are going to be teaching our way through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the New Testament portion of your Bible, the beginning of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to be studying... Um, for some time here ahead, chapters 5, 6, and 7, which is sometimes referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, this collection of Jesus' teaching. And, uh, and so, uh, you, some of you may remember that a couple of years ago, we actually began teaching through um, the Sermon on the Mount, and then we felt strongly that God was guiding us to consider uh, other passages of Scripture for that time. And so now we get to come back to Sermon on the Mount. I'm glad to come back to Sermon on the Mount. And if you don't remember that we did that two years ago, no worries, because most of you don't remember what the sermon said last Sunday, so that's okay. <laughs> Nor do I, and I gave it. So, so, you know, we're good. Grab your Bibles if you have it and open to, chapter, uh, open to Matthew chapter 5. i uh, love you to bring your Bible with you or a device that has a Bible app on it. Uh, love you to follow along in God's word. We say sometimes that we want to keep our finger in the text so that we hear from God as we gather together on Sunday morning. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and in a moment we will uh, study the first several verses of Matthew 5 together this morning. So in case you missed it last Sunday, and I want to just mention something, an idea that we talked about last Sunday. I want to mention one of those ideas again, and that is this, that in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been rescued from sin and death, if you have given your life to Jesus, in Christ, we, we can't just then be status quo with life. Um, there, there is no such thing as being saved, being rescued from, from death, being rescued from darkness and brought into life, and then having nothing in your life change. There's no such thing. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Being uh, citizens of the kingdom, living kingdom lives, means that everything changes, that we are being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. And so these teachings that we're about to study our way through, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's five, Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, these teachings are challenging. We're going to get to some, some difficult topics in the coming week. These are challenging, but super practical. And what does Jesus want from teaching us these things? Jesus wants us to put them into action. Jesus wants us to obey these teachings. Jesus wants our lives to be changed to the point where we can live out the ways of Jesus, the life of Christ in me, lived out in my circumstances and in my relationships, so that increasingly it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do we want that, church family? And here's the thing 
Jesus, is the, this is a challenging teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he expects us to obey. He expects it to be implemented. He expects it to be lived out. But where Jesus teaches, he, he, he expects, and where he expects, he enables. He, by his power in us, by living in us and through us, he enables us. He empowers us to live for him. So we're not left to our own strength and our, our limited resources and our shortcomings to live these out. Christ is in us. The Spirit of God is empowering us. And so in, as we study this series called Kingdom Life, we're asking the question, what does it look like to live out a radical kingdom life in the world I live in, in the spheres of influence where I, where I hang out? Sound good? Ready to roll? Okay, so in a minute, we're going to get to Matthew 5. First, let's take a quick look at the context if we think about the book of Matthew as a whole, or if you even want to flip back to the very beginning of the book of Matthew, you'll find in chapter 1, verse 1, a genealogy. And the purpose of that genealogy is to tell us who Jesus is. And who it tells us Jesus is, is that Jesus is the arrived, promised rescuer. That Jesus is the Messiah. That he came from the line of David. That he was the answer to God's rescue plan. That Jesus is king, the purpose of that genealogy at the beginning of Matthew is to tell us that Jesus is king. And then if you were to flip to the end of the book of Matthew, and you can do that if you want, or you can take my word for it. If you flip to the end of the book of Matthew, in chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. All authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. And so the bookends, the bookends of Matthew, the beginning and the end of the book of Matthew are that Jesus is king, that Jesus is king overall, that he has authority in our lives. Are we ready to listen? The Sermon on the Mount is God's word to us, Jesus' words, his teachings to us. Are we ready to listen? Chapter 5, verse 1. Matthew 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and thus begins the Sermon on the Mount. And what's the setting? Again, here we want to look at the context. What's the setting? The Sermon on the Mount begins a couple of interesting things with Jesus going up on a mountain. And, and throughout God's word, throughout the scriptures, a mountain seems to indicate big things are about to happen. And then Jesus sits down, which was the posture at the time of teachers uh, the way that they would teach, the way that they would demonstrate their authority is from this seated position. And so the Sermon on the Mount begins with something important going on and Jesus beginning to demonstrate his authority. And then if we were to get a sneak preview of the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount finishes this way, that the crowds, that those, those were listening, were astonished. They were astonished because they were listening to one, to a person who had authority. He gets done with this teaching. He went up on the mountain, something big's about to happen. He sits down, it's the posture of a teacher who has authority. And at the end of this teaching, the crowds were astonished because Jesus was teaching as one who had 
authority. Jesus is the king of God's people. He is the king of the universe. He is Lord over all. Faith Church family, is he Lord of your life? This is the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So these are the questions we ask ourselves. If he is king over all, if he is king of the universe, as we come to his feet to hear his teaching, is he Lord of our lives? So now as we get to verse 3, we started this morning having to endure hearing woes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not going to do seven times. I'd lose count. So we started this morning having to listen to woes, but here in verse 3, Jesus starts with what have become known as Beatitudes. Beatitudes uh, begin in verse 3, and Beatitudes is a Latin translation for the word blessed. And sometimes we think of blessed, we think, I'm blessed. Sometimes we get a little too light with that, and we might think of happiness, um, just that in general, my circumstances are good, things are going well, and so I'm happy. There's so much more going on here in the Beatitudes when, when um, God's word, when Jesus says, blessed are you, blessed are so-and-so. In Jesus, we can be blessed by God no matter our circumstances. We can be well. We can be at peace no matter the swirling circumstances around us. That's part of being blessed by God. We are blessed also because we belong. There's a sense in which when Jesus says, blessed are you, he's saying, approved are you. You belong. My blessings upon you. You are well no matter what your circumstances are. I approve. And so these beatitudes are what we're going to um, walk quickly through this morning and, and just highlight what kinds of things is Jesus highlighting? What kinds of Jesus is, putting his, is he putting his blessing on? And what do, those, what do those indicate for us about what the kingdom of God is like? And what citizens of the kingdom are like? If the Beatitudes are Jesus' blessing, Jesus' approval, yet another question we ask ourselves as we put ourselves in front of the scriptures this morning would be, Whose blessing do I seek? Whose approval am I looking for? As I go about my life, as you go about your life and your various interactions and your various places and, and your various people, where do we look for God for blessing? Where do we look for approval? The Beatitudes really um, summarize a lot of the heart of the whole Sermon on the Mount. These, these are characteristics of disciples in the kingdom. As Jesus followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, we, we enter into the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is present now, and it is unfolding, and it will be fulfilled completely in the future when he returns. And so followers of Jesus, we, we enter into the kingdom when you become a follower of Jesus. And then, here's the part where the Sermon on the Mount, I think, is going to catch us. You enter into the kingdom, and the kingdom changes you. Living as a citizen of the kingdom changes everything. It impacts the way you live. And so what does that kingdom life look like? Who are we to be? How are we to live? Let's look at some of the Beatitudes. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's an idea here of just being spiritually bankrupt, coming to the end of ourselves, 
poor in spirit, recognizing I can't do it on my own. I can't save myself. I am in need of God. Being poor in spirit, humbling oneself, and looking to God for all that we need. It's, a, it's really becoming poor in spirit is a form of repentance. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are putting themselves in a position, um, being ready to be filled by God, being, being ready to enter life in the kingdom, setting our own ways aside, our own priorities, our own preferences, our own putting ourselves on the throne aside, becoming poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, recognizing we can't do it ourselves. Blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says. And again, I mentioned it briefly, but the kingdom here is referring to the kingdom of God, the, the, the true reality now and moving forward that, that Jesus is king over all. The kingdom of God is, is talking about the rule and reign of God over all things. And, and, if, and if, if Jesus is king of all things, then, then in one aspect of living a kingdom life is recognizing that Jesus reigns over his people that Jesus needs to be Lord of my life, that, that I need to be submitted to him. Instead of being, uh, as I studied this week, I came across this, this idea. Instead of being among the many who accept Christ, But nothing ever changes. Instead of being among the many who uh, indicate they are following Jesus, but continue life as if nothing's changed, continue life as just as it was before, instead of that, let's put ourselves at the feet of God. Let's submit ourselves to the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And let's allow the Sermon on the Mount, let's allow Jesus' teaching to, to examine us, to check us in our thoughts and our attitudes and our heart posture and our actions and our words. Father in heaven, may you use your teaching through Jesus this morning to not just go in one ear and out the other ear, but God, would you use your teaching to change me, to change my heart to call me to you, that I might live for you. Amen. So we keep going, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Our sin, our rebellion against God, um, our going our own way, uh, ought to lead us to mourning. When we recognize what we've done, it ought to lead us to mourning our sin, to longing for forgiveness and, and healing. And, and, and praise God that verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And not only can we mourn our own sin and rebellion and take that to God and seek his forgiveness, but I think we can also look around at the difficulties that we encounter in our lives, the pain and the tragedy and the suffering and the sin 
and uh, all the things that we see in our world, the lack of integrity and selfishness and injustice and cruelty, I, I think we can go to our Father and mourn those things. Mourn the hurt and pain all around us. And then look to a great God who Jesus promises, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 5 says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. This one gets a little funny for us because it's not a word we're really familiar with, and most of the time we don't use. This is not a word that I would say is very common. And it doesn't sound, very, uh, doesn't sound like something you'd strive for. Yeah, I'm meek. Because it rhymes with weak. And so we think of meek as weak. But it's not weak. Meek has a sense of gentle, humble, uh, not, not a bully, not domineering, not hard edges, but, but trusting that God is at work. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, recognizing that only God is righteous. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is, this is when we recognize that we have come to the end of ourselves and we can't do it, we can't save ourselves, and we recognize that God is the only one who is righteous, that God is the one who is good. When we hunger and thirst for that goodness, that righteousness, Verse 6 says, they shall be satisfied. So let's stop there. we got a few more Beatitudes to go through, but just pause for a minute and think about the Beatitudes we've looked at so far. According to Jesus, according to Jesus, church family, who is blessed? And, and is it, look back at those Beatitudes, and who, is, who does Jesus say is blessed? And is it the same people that we would typically hold high in our world? Is it, is it the people that we have a tendency to think highly of or to, to, to really admire or to thank God for? Is it, is it the things that come to mind when we think of famous people or leaders? Who, according to our Beatitudes, who is blessed? Who is approved by God? Is it the smart, the funny, the rich, the tough, the courageous, the agreeable, the physically attractive? No, we heard things like the poor in spirit, the sad, the lowly, the mistreated. That Jesus says, blessed, approval. My wish is of, of wellness to you. One of the commentators I read this week, a pastor named Doug O'Connell, wrote this Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to the strange world and wisdom of Jesus. Why does he use the word strange? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the strange world and wisdom of Jesus. And I, I think he uses the word strange because it's not what we expect. Because it's not, it doesn't fit our paradigm. It's not the way we would operate. And so, so this pastor writes, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the strange world and the wisdom of Jesus. Welcome to Jesus' narrow gate theology, a teaching that separates crowds over here who want health and wealth in the here and now, whose teaching, narrow gate teaching, 
separates this group uh, who want health and wealth in the here and now from disciples who are willing to deny themselves, pick up their crosses, and follow Jesus. To live out the ways of Jesus. To not just say, I'm a Christian and have nothing in my life change, but to become a citizen of the kingdom and be completely changed. Not because of my efforts and trying and behavior modification, but because of the grace of God, the presence of Christ in me, and the power of his spirit empowering me to live for him. So that same pastor finishes that quote by saying, welcome to what it means to be a blessed disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, so let's continue the passage. And we'll notice this, that the, four, uh, the first four Beatitudes um, were, were mostly concerned with our relationship with God. The first four Beatitudes that we've already covered uh, seem to have that in common. Our relationship with God and specifically our need for God. And then these next four Beatitudes seem to shift and have a little bit more of a theme of our relationship with others. And there's a sense here, and some of these are looking at actions that are pleasing to God. He's going to say, blessed are you who do these things. Blessed are these actions. These are actions. These are uh, kingdom life characteristics that are pleasing to God because they love and help others. Because they're not focused on me. Because it's God's work in and through me that then reaches out and is a blessing to others. So let's uh, allow the Sermon on the Mount to continue to examine our hearts. Let's be checked by the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have received God's mercy. Where you got what you didn't deserve, and you didn't get what you do deserve. You experienced God's mercy. And then verse 7 says, blessed are the merciful. So if, if we are a follower of Jesus and we have received his mercy and been forgiven and been made right with God, out of thankfulness for God's mercy to us, we have an opportunity to be merciful, to be kind to the hurting and forgiving the guilty. Even those who hurt us, Having experienced mercy, we are to be conduits of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Those who are um, wholly devoted to God, pure in heart, all aspects of life devoted to God, all areas of my life submitted to God, um, a, a continuing loyalty, a, a pursuit of God in every area, a desire to humbly submit to him in every area of life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those who don't add to the mess, those don't, who, who create more strife, not those who point fingers and cause pain and difficulty, blessed are the peacemakers who point to the peace we can only have in God, who point others to each other for reconciliation and coming together and finding peace. Blessed are the peacemakers 
who point people to God, the only one who can bring harmony and wholeness and unity. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not only um, having opportunity to point people to God, for them to find peace with God, but who, who God wants to use us, followers of Jesus, church family, to be instruments of peace, to bring that to those around us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who, persecute, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What is persecution? When, we, when a follower of Jesus receive, uh, experiences hostility, mistreatment because of their faith in Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that, that verse is followed with, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. <laughs> what? Back that up, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, go back through the Beatitudes. And look with me at who Jesus called blessed. Who did Jesus declare God's approval on? Look at some of those key words from those different Beatitudes. Go back and consider poor in spirit. Those who mourn, the meek, the pure in heart, the merciful. If I'm brutally honest, a lot of the time, I don't want to be those things. That's not what I aspire to. That's not what my idea of, of who Derek should be is when I'm left to myself and in my own sin and my pride. I'm not sure I want to be those things. Those don't sound anything like what the world values. Why, why wouldn't I want to be things that are looked up to in the world? Why wouldn't I fall into the trap of doing what everybody else does for value and identity and worth and power and money? If I'm honest, I don't know that I, there's times when I don't know if I want to be those things. Those things sound lame. Meek? It doesn't sound like the big names in our culture, those that dominate the headlines. That's because these, that's because these beatitudes, that's because these kingdom life characteristics from God's word from Jesus' own mouth this morning are, are totally countercultural. They totally go against our common sense, or at least our world's common sense. These, these are upside down to our, to our worldly senses. We live in this world influenced by all that influences us, and we think we know what's important and what matters and what stacks up and what makes us important and what makes me going to be successful. And then God's word turns it all on its head. Because the gospel of the kingdom, because the gospel of the good news of what Jesus has done changes everything. Because church family, when you become a follower of Jesus, you enter into the kingdom. And you don't just enter into the kingdom and hang out. You enter into the kingdom, and the kingdom impacts you. 
Living for Jesus changes who you are, changes you from the inside out, and makes you more and more like Christ. So it's not about what we prefer or what I think would make me important or successful or whatever. It's about submitting ourselves to God, about submitting ourselves to kingdom life values as taught by Jesus so that we can be transformed more into the image of Jesus, so that we can live out the ways of Jesus in our lives. And I need help with that. And I'll go out on a limb and say, so do you. When we, when we talk about needing to submit ourselves to God increasingly, when we talk about needing a family of fellow believers around us, when we talk about needing to live out the ways of Jesus and be conduits of his love and proclaimers of the good news of Jesus to those around us, when we think about those things, I need help. I need fellow believers in Jesus to journey with me and point me to growth in those things. And so here comes the little commercial that you frequently get. That at Faith Church, we exist to help people know and follow Jesus. And one of the best ways that we want to help you at, at Faith Church to know and follow Jesus, to become increasingly submitted to him, to be changed into his likeness, to live out the ways of Jesus and be proclaimers of good news to the world around you, one of the best suggestions we have is for you to join a life group. If you're in a life group, we want to continue to work with you and, and help you and come alongside you and help your life group to know how to imp implement these three areas of emphasis. And if you're not in a life group, we would love to connect you with a life group, other people in our church family where you can know a few others and they can know you, where we can mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, and where we can together grow in these three areas on the screen what does it mean to live life on life where we spur each other on to being more and more like Jesus? What does it look like to live in community, live as a family and support and care and love? And what does it look like to live together on mission where we live out the ways of Jesus, not just talk about them? Where we go outside of the four walls where Christians gather to those who are hurting and needy and far from Jesus together we do that together on mission. So uh, if you want more information about Life Group, you can grab that um, info sheet that you got on the way in or grab one on your way out. There's some more information on there about Life Groups and how to contact us, and, and we would love to help you get connected with Life Group. Uh, really, really, really uh, strongly encourage that. I think you'll find it to be a, a blessing. So the Kingdom Life series will continue. We've walked through the first few verses this morning in chapter 5, the Beatitudes. In the coming weeks, the Kingdom Life series will, will continue as we teach our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as we've said this morning, here's where we'll wrap up. Is just let's, let's just stay with me here for some highlights. Stay with me for where are we going. Stay with me right now for what God wants to do. Uh, these teachings in the Sermon on the Mount are challenging but practical, and Jesus wants us to live, us, live them out. And he wants us to live them out even in the midst of the broken, painful world that we live in, where things are not as they should be, where relationships are broken, where there's suffering and tragedy. But Jesus is, is bringing us this teaching and we're studying it together, asking him 
to help us live it out. And where he teaches, he expects. And where he expects, he enables. You're not on your own to live it out. You're not on your own to match up. You're not on your own to to follow through on the commands of the Sermon on the Mount. Where Jesus teaches us, he expects. Where he expects, he enables. He empowers you to live for him. Because the gospel is the spectacular good news that God rescues sinners like me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is the spectacular good news that while we were yet sinners, while we were still in rebellion against God, where we had no way to earn points with God, where we were a complete mess, the beautiful, the beautiful gospel of good news of Jesus is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died so that we could live And it's not our efforts. It's not our our own striving or behavior. It's a gift of God's grace. Salvation is a grace gift of God that he offers. And his grace brings about salvation for those who put their trust in Jesus. And his grace then transforms followers of Jesus to be more and more like him. And it's God's grace that then enables and empowers you to live for him. It's God at work, not us at work. It's not anything that we do. It's what Jesus has already done. And so, as we've said this morning a couple times, followers of Jesus, when you you trust in Christ, you enter into the kingdom. And and we don't want to enter into the kingdom and then live life the same as we've always lived it. We enter into the kingdom and we submit ourselves to God And we follow Jesus, and we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, and everything changes. We enter into the kingdom, and the kingdom changes us. We are increasingly learning to live as citizens of the kingdom. And these beatitudes, these beatitudes, the poor in spirit, the merciful, those who mourn, the meek, those are not stuff we just have to figure out. Those are not self-produced. I don't just try hard and all of a sudden I'm meek. Church family, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God himself lives within you. The Beatitudes, those characteristics, are fruit of God's work in your life. They are the overflow of God changing you. They are the result of spirit activity in your life. So followers of Jesus, uh, these, these characteristics will become increasingly true of us as the Spirit transforms. So those, those beatitudes are not requirements for how to be saved. I have to be meek. I have to be important spirit. I need to be merciful. Th- those are not requirements for how to be saved. They're proof. They're proof that God is changing you. That as you see those things true and increasingly true in your life, you have proof that God is at work in your life. And you know what? That is why we are blessed. Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us in so many ways. Father in heaven, as we study your word, as we are challenged by the Sermon on the Mount, it is our desire to live for you. God, I, 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 I pray that I want to increasingly obey. 
I want my attitudes to increasingly be your attitudes. I want my pride to be knocked down and to find appropriate humility before my heavenly Father. God, I pray those things would be true of my friends in this room too, that we would want to live for you, that we would want to be changed, that we would want to learn to live out the ways of Jesus, not just talk about the ways of Jesus. So Father, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Thank you that it's grace that saves, that it's grace that transforms, that it's your grace that empowers us to live for you. We thank you for the cross where Jesus made it possible for us to know you, God, to be friends with God, to be adopted into the family of God. We thank you for the cross, for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that brings us new life, life now and life forever. And God, as you bring us this, this being transformed in the present tense life, God, I pray that we would learn to live as citizens of the kingdom, that kingdom life would be increasingly true in our words and actions. And so this morning, we submit ourselves to you. We submit ourselves to the teacher on the mountain who is speaking as one with authority. We submit ourselves to you, Jesus, as Lord, Master, Rescuer. We submit ourselves to you, Father in heaven, not just on Sundays, but every day, we ask you to walk with us this week that we would be reminded of the reality of your presence with us always and that we would live as if knowing that to be true. So teach us to walk by the Spirit, to hear your voice and your prompting and your leading in our lives so that we can live for you in all we do. We desire to live for you. We desire our lives to be lived in thankfulness for the spectacular news of the gospel. So even now as we give our offerings, as we lift our voices, as we say prayers, as we hug one another in our church family, would we do all of that out of grateful hearts? thankful for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.